Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Jones guarded by Trey Jones. Tyus cuts to his left, bounce pass, Kuzma in the lane. Right corner now for three. Oh, got it. Below, Kulabali, as cool as you please, and the Wizards take the lead, 110-109. That's Dave on the call with Glenn last night. We haven't come in with a Wizards highlight on the show in a long time, Denton. Nice job. You were paying attention. They just won two games in a row for the first time this year. Woo! That's, yeah. We are so back, baby. They're 10 back. 10 back of the 10th spot. That play-in spot. I'm watching the standings, paying attention. Um, what's really interesting about their two-game win streak is the two wins have come on the road against the Pistons and the Spurs, the other two really terrible teams in the league. But I think part of the reason Wes Unseld was removed from the bench and put into the front office is because as bad as they want, you know, high draft positioning and kind of the goal of the year is not to be a playoff team, I think the losses just recently to the same two teams at home, they were like, oh my God, it's just too hard to watch. Because they lost to the Pistons and lost to the Spurs at home a week and a week and a half ago. Um, but back-to-back games, old Brian Keith getting the job done. By the way, you know who else is getting the job done? I don't know if you've been paying. T- what, did you say? Did you give me an answer? No, I, I hadn't made a guess. Marvin yet. Bagley the third. He's playing well with Washington. Had 15 last night. Shooting, by the way, in the high 60 percentile from the field. Uh, he's played very good basketball since the trade. He's had a couple of outstanding games. Um, okay, that's it for the Wizards. Uh, they play the Clippers tomorrow night at home. Now, let me just tell you, I think I'm going to that game, and you know why. I'm just a massive Kawhi Leonard fan. Uh, they lost last night for the first time in a while. They had had a huge win over the Celtics over the weekend on the road. They blew out the Celtics. They lost to the Cavs last night. But they get the Clippers at home Wednesday night um, with what I think is right now a team that could win the NBA title if they stay healthy, which is always the big if. Um, I have not, Denton. This may be the first time at this point of the NBA season – 
I have not been to one Wizards game this year. Typically at this point, I've gone to at least one. Never, by the way, as, as, a, as a media member. I never, ever go. Uh, that's not true. I've gone to Wizards games as a media member. But when I go, I want to go as a fan. Just like the Maryland games, I don't go as a media member. I go as a fan. Um, and I don't. I haven't been to one game this year. I'm trying to think. Maybe I didn't go to a game last year. No, I did go to a game last year. I know I went to a game last year because I saw Brooklyn last year um, in, in one of the times they were in town. Anyway, uh, the Wizards. Uh, by the way, the trade deadline coming up a week from uh, tomorrow. Uh, no, week from Thursday because it's February 8th. So February 1st is Thursday, the NBA trade deadline. Don't be surprised if the Wizards are very active at the trade deadline. Um, certainly a guy like Tyus Jones could get traded. I think almost anybody could get traded with the exception of the highlight player that you came in with, and that would be their first-round pick, Bilal Koulibaly, who, if you're not paying attention, has played well. He really has played well. He has definitely shown uh, one of the reasons they drafted him, which was defense first and foremost, but he has played well offensively at times. He had a good game last night in their win over the Spurs. I didn't watch any of it. Good morning, everybody. One guest on the show today, Greg Bell, who covers the Seahawks for the Tacoma News, will join us at 11 a.m. There are two head coach openings in the NFL. There is the Washington opening, and there is the Seattle-Washington opening. Uh, The Seattle and the Washington openings um, are perhaps getting competitive with one another. Washington yesterday uh, reported the Baltimore, uh, re- interviewed the Baltimore guys, McDonald and Weaver. Today is supposed to be, according to all the reporting, the Dan Quinn here, followed by the Detroit trip to interview in person for the first time Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn. Ben Johnson has interviewed with the Seahawks already. Ben Standig, when he was on the show yesterday, and he has said this. For a while, and I don't know, may, I don't pay attention to everybody, um, so I don't want to exclude anybody from this uh, sentiment that, that Ben's had for a couple of weeks now. But Ben has said over and over again, he said, look, all of the reporting out there suggests that Ben Johnson is the front runner. It's what I am hearing, too, but he said two weeks ago, pro- at least two weeks ago, he said, when you have so much reporting like this on one guy and it seems to be the guy sometimes it's just an echo chamber sometimes this is just you know one or two people and it's just bouncing off and then everybody's in the same echo chamber repeating the same thing and he goes I I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna say it's definite until it's definite but he's kind of had this feeling in the back of his mind that it's far from a done deal well Adam Schefter who, you know, is certainly a qualified NFL reporter. He is certainly an NFL reporter that's gotten it right much more than wrong, probably at a right-wrong percentage higher than anybody that's covered the league at any point. This is what Adam Schefter said yesterday when he was on the Pat McAfee show. Well, well, first and foremost, I'm not convinced yet that Ben Johnson's getting the commander's job. I know people have said that he's the presumptive favorite and he may get the job like he he very well may he's in contention but that is not a slam dunk at all right now mm-hmm. and 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 they are definitely looking at other people as well and again they may come back to ben johnson 
but I think that they're pretty impressed with Mike McDonald and Aaron Glenn and Anthony Weaver as well. And I think those guys are going to have a legitimate chance to get that job. Um, and then Ben Johnson's also in playing Seattle. He went on to say, uh, Denton, I don't know if you had the the rest of it. He went on to say that he would he would wager for sure that one either Quinn to Seattle or Ben Johnson to Washington won't happen, if not both. Ben Johnson for Seattle people is considered to be one of the front runners. The Seattle people, you you read through the Seattle reporting, and that's why we're going to have somebody from Seattle on at 11 a.m. They believe that Mike McDonald, along with Ben Johnson, are the two leading candidates for the job. Now, we talked about this yesterday on the show, but I, I want to repeat it for emphasis. I think the Seattle job is a good job. You know, we've gotten carried away here locally, and I don't think I don't think to an, a point to a point where it's exaggerated. But we have we've sort of bathed ourselves over the last few months in how great of an opening Washington is. Look, compared to what it used to be, yes, because Dan Snyder isn't here, and then add to it the cap space, the draft choices, the number two overall pick, etc. Um, uh, but uh, the Seattle job is a decent job, too. They have a good roster. They've got a much better roster than Washington's roster. Much better roster. They are young and and pretty talented on defense. Witherspoon turned out to be the right pick, it would certainly appear, when they selected him in the first round last year out of Illinois. Reek Woolen looks like a star uh, as well. They've got Diggs. They've got Jackson. They've got, you know, Wagner and Adams getting old, of course, but then young guys up front. And they remember made the the deadline deal for Leonard Williams. Um, and that was more of a playoff push, but I think Leonard Williams will be on that roster. Offensively, they got a young, very talented offensive line. Their receiving core certainly is a receiving core with Metcalf, uh, Lockett, and Smith and the Jigba that you would look at as a top 10 receiving core minimum. Um, they've got one of the best young backs in the game in Kenneth Walker III. Uh, the quarterback is the question mark. Of course, Geno Smith in 2022 was a pro bowler. Last year, not so much. But perhaps Ben Johnson looks at that roster and looks at Geno Smith, or maybe it's Drew Locke, who knows, and says, I can get him to be Jared Goff. I can do with Geno Smith what I did with Jared Goff. The Seattle opening is a solid opening. And let's not forget, you know, for guys that are in the NFL, and I think this is a really important point that I'm going to make, for guys that are younger, like Ben Johnson, who's 37 years old, and don't remember necessarily Washington being a prominent NFL franchise, for basically their entire adult life, Washington's been the dregs of the NFL. They've been a bottom-feeding NFL franchise. They're the franchise that when you turn on TV to watch a game, every single time either the stadium is empty or the stadium is filled with the opponent's fans. Now, I would expect that Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails, the people that really understand this market and understand what we believe to be pent-up demand, 
Um, but very complicated pent-up demand for a lot of reasons, as we know. Um, but I would certainly say that they can sell what Washington can become for the guy that actually turns it around. But Seattle has been a banner franchise. You know, if if you're looking at, well, which overall franchise, which market, which NFL market is better? Seattle, to a guy like Ben Johnson, may look a lot better. For his lifetime, Seattle's been a contender with the 12th man, with one of the best home field environments in the game, in a beautiful city and market, physically anyway, the city itself, not what it used to be. I used to spend a lot of time in the 90s, spent a lot of time in Seattle and in Portland, Oregon, even more time in Portland. Uh, Don't ask me why. Safeway would be the answer. Um, Safeway was based in Northern California, and they were my account, and I had all of their divisions up and down the West Coast. Anyway, um, Seattle was actually quality food centers for anybody that's from Seattle. QFC, as they're known uh, in Seattle. Uh, But Seattle is an attractive job. You know, it's really the picks and the cap space that makes Washington attractive. I, I mean, no Dan, obviously. But in terms of history, and Seattle's got the history in the mind of a guy like Ben Johnson. Now, when he gets the job here, or if he gets the job here, you're going to hear a lot about what he's been pitched on, the history of the franchise, the three Lombardi trophies, the Joe Gibbs era. You'll get all the stuff that we've always gotten from any new coach or any new GM about the tradition and the storied history of the Washington Redskins. But that history is deep into the history books at this point. By the way, coming up on what do you got, a little bit of history. I'm just saying that we were talking about this yesterday, and I was thinking about it as I heard the Adam Schefter sound last night on McAfee, and I wonder if it's just that maybe Ben Johnson ultimately is, you know, not decided himself until he takes these interviews and that he considers Seattle to be, in his own mind, right there with Washington. Wouldn't Seattle, you, th- you agree, Denton, right? Seattle's got a a good young roster. I, I think it's a good job. I think this job is better for a guy specifically like Ben Johnson. Like, if I was Mike McDonald or Dan Quinn, I would be all over Seattle because I think they have a lot of good pieces on defense. But for a guy like Ben Johnson, do you really want to go through – this term is I, – I, I'm kind of tired of the term, but a retread, right? Like you kind of did the retread thing with Jared Goff. You're going through the retread thing with Geno Smith. Or do you want to have a say at who you could potentially be linked to for, you know, if, if all if things go well, you know, five to ten years? Um, I don't know. I don't know how the, he feels about Geno Smith. Geno Smith has played at, at times here the last two years some really good football. Geno Smith's under contract. They extended him. It, it, it was not a killer deal. And so maybe he looks at Geno Smith and what he can do with Geno Smith in the same way he looks at Jared Goff and says, that's, a, that's much more of a sure thing than what's in this draft. And we can win right away. Now, you said something on the show yesterday, and I don't know how much of this goes into the thinking of a coach that has options, but the NFC West has Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the Arizona situation, but they've got Shanahan and McVay and the Rams were the youngest team in the NFL this year. Now with an older quarterback, as we know, 
who played at a high level but was banged up here and there. But the Rams will be heading into 2024. The Rams are going to get a lot of preseason love as certainly a playoff team, as a team that can win 9, 10, 11 games. Maybe not win the division, but be a playoff team again. They had no love coming into this season. Um, versus the NFC East, where you know it's McCarthy and Sirianni coming back and Brian Dable. Look, I mean, a, this is the thing about the NFL. It just changes so dramatically um, year to year. Last year, you would have looked at the NFC East and said, oh, Dallas and Philly. I mean, you got no shot, and the Giants just went to the postseason. And Daniel Jones just had a career year. You know, that's what you would have thought about the NFC East this time last year. I don't. We're, we're going to see the, the next – yesterday, today, these are going to be interesting days. Um, I think Schefter, you know, hedged a little bit there. He clearly knows something. That's Adam Schefter we're hearing from. You know, he has intel that Ben Johnson to Washington – isn't a done deal. Dan Quinn to Seattle isn't a done deal. Now, let me just mention, because I mentioned this, I think, two weeks ago now, um, the or whenever the first Dan Quinn interview took place, uh, very impressive Quinn was to Washington's group that interviewed him. Very impressive. And somebody had told me at the time, wouldn't be surprised at all if he is their plan B, but they expect plan A to come together. As plan A came together, on the GM search, but we'll see. By the way, speaking of Ben Johnson, um, I did something yesterday after the show. Uh, I don't think a lot of you have heard Ben Johnson's voice. You haven't paid attention to Ben Johnson's interviews as the Lions OC. Um, you haven't heard his thoughts. You haven't heard him formulate his thoughts. You haven't heard his voice, etc. cetera. Um, and I went yesterday and I pulled a couple of sound bites from last week's offensive coordinator press conference in Detroit leading up to Sunday's NFL title game. And I'm going to play some of that for you this hour. It's actually not just game-specific to their matchup to the 49ers. There were more sort of larger points about Ben Johnson, the way he thinks, um, and I thought that they would be interesting for everybody to hear. So stay tuned for that. Um, I wanted to read this tweet. It came from John after the show yesterday. You went hard on Dan Campbell. Did you know how bad their kicker was from 50 and out? Um, yeah, I did. And I, I don't necessarily think I went super hard on Dan Campbell. Uh, I think the fourth down decisions actually are debatable decisions. I made the point yesterday on the show that there was one decision specifically that was not debatable. Like anybody that's ever watched football for any kind of, you know, meaningful amount of time understood that on third and goal from the one with a minute five to go in the game, you could not run the football with three timeouts left down 10. That I went hard on him. You're right, John. Specific to that play, which isn't what you highlighted, I went hard on. I think most of you would agree. Anybody with any reasonable football um, you know, fan viewing over a long period of time understood you could not run the football on third and goal from the one. It ended the football game for all intents and purposes. And it doesn't matter if Ben Johnson said to Dan Campbell, my best play to score is a running play. Campbell needed to say, 
uh-uh, sorry, we're throwing the football here. We can't afford to get stopped because then we have to call a timeout. They didn't have to call a timeout, but if they didn't call a timeout, I mean, 20-plus seconds would have run off the clock, and that would have really, really minimized any chance of winning the game. But calling the timeout, in effect, ended the football game for Detroit. And the reason being is that your chances of recovering an onside kick in 2023 were 4.2%. So you had a 95.8% chance of not recovering an onside kick. And once you were down to two timeouts with under a minute to go, it meant you needed to recover an onside kick. That was an egregious coaching error. Can't make that mistake if you're a head coach. Just like last week in the playoff game against Tampa Bay, Dan Campbell, who is clearly a net positive, overwhelming net positive for the Detroit Lions franchise. What he's done has been amazing. He's clearly a an emotional uh, incredible leader of men, of 53 men in a locker room. They've believed. He's hired good people. Those people have believed in him. He's done a great job. But when it's come to sort of the game management stuff, he's a bit of a meathead. I mean, the going for two from the seven-yard line against the Cowboys is another, what are you doing? I mean, that is just, I'm pissed off that they called the the penalty that they called that wiped out the two-point conversion that should have given us the win or given us the lead, and I'm going to go for it anyway. I mean, everybody loves aggressive when it works, but there is a there is a place and a time where aggressive is just stupid, like it was in that two-point attempt against the Cowboys from the seven-yard line, like it was last week where they just went brain-dead and they started taking knees with 16 and 15 seconds left on the play, uh, play clock. And the only thing that, that bailed them out was that Bowles was brain-dead in the moment. And by the way, the fact that he doubled and tripled down on that I've mentioned for many years here, I'm a big Todd Bowles fan. If I owned that team, I would I would have had a conversation with Bowles and it would have gone like this. Do you realize the mistake you made by not calling a timeout with 33 seconds, 36 seconds to go? Do you understand that you, in effect, tapped out? If he still didn't understand it, I would not. I, there's no chance I could have him back as my coach. I could never, ever have another situation in which my head coach just tapped out and said it was a foregone conclusion that we were going to lose the game so I didn't call my last time out with 36 seconds to go, 33 seconds to go down eight. I mean, that's still bewildering. But the only reason he was allowed to do it is meathead Dan Campbell was taking a knee with 15, 16 seconds left. By the way, let's hope that's Campbell and not Ben Johnson if he gets the job. I would assume... It's more whomever is in charge of managing the game and the clock. But the third down play was totally, totally wrong. It, in effect, put in play the game ending on that play. You can't do that. You just can't do that. you got to try to extend the game. I personally would have kicked the field goal on fourth and goal after the timeout. I wouldn't have gone for the touchdown. You had to extend the game. The chances of making a 19, 20-yard field goal were a lot higher than them converting the fourth and three, which they did. Now, on the other fourth downs, back to John's tweet, 
you went hard in Dan Campbell. Did you know how bad their kicker was? Yeah, Michael Badgley's not a good kicker. I understand that. You know, that's one of the reasons last week against Tampa, Bulls should have called the timeout because it was a 48 or 49-yard field goal. And from beyond 48, Badgley is 9 for 20. Um, But overall, in recent years, he's been a little bit better. But just so you know, John, neither one of the two fourth down, you know, passing on field goal decisions by Dan Campbell were 50 and out. One was a 45-yarder, and the other was a 48-yarder. The first one was 45, the second one was 48. You can't just use, like, tell me what his 45 and out numbers are. Much better than 50 and out. You can work those numbers any way you want, but the bottom line is he didn't have a 50-yard kick. He had a 45-yard kick on the first one that they passed on to go for two, and he had a 48-yarder on the second one that they passed on to tie the game. Um, As I said yesterday, I watched, and we all watched as NFL fans, Detroit enough this year to know that this is what Campbell does. I would have kicked the field goal in both cases. I would have kicked the field goal like he chose to do at the end of the first half. Um, I would have definitely kicked the field goal at 27-10, but I didn't have a problem in the moment with him going for it because I knew that's what he did. And by the way, at that moment, at that moment, Detroit was dominating the game. Fourth and two, whatever the percentages were during the regular season, which were super high that they would convert, they were even higher against the Niners on Sunday because the Niners hadn't stopped them. So I didn't have an issue but, you know, extending the lead back to t- three scores at 27 to 10 would have been my preference, but I didn't have a problem with him going for it. And then on the second one down 27-24, I would have kicked that field goal too to tie it because at that point you were a little bit in free fall after the third quarter meltdown of, you know, the drop by Reynolds, the face mask, you know, wild play to, to Ayuk. Um, which should have been an interception, the Josh Reynolds drop, uh, the fumble by Jameer Gibbs, the punt into the end zone, the punt down to the two-yard line that the guy just casually caught and then and then went into the end zone with um, instead of throwing it back into the field of play. Um, they had That's where the game was lost. That's where the game was lost, in my opinion. So that was not going hard on Dan Campbell other than the one a decision that was 100% wrong. In fact, I think he actually, in his day after yesterday, admitted that he should not have run the football in that spot, and he understood that now. I think that's out there. I think somebody else tweeted me that he um, he agreed a day later that they shouldn't have run the football. But as far as the fourth down decisions, I would have chosen differently, but I didn't have a massive issue with it. The game was lost during that five-minute meltdown of Drop Reynolds, face mask interception, catch by Ayuk, Gibbs fumble, third and nine right in the hands of Reynolds again, drop. That would have been a 25 to 30 plus yard play. And then a 74 yard punt that should have been downed at the one or two yard line that the dude number 27 just carried with him into the end zone. That that was where the game was lost. You know, he didn't fumble the football. Um, He didn't have the face mask. He didn't drop the two passes that Reynolds dropped. And I'm sure they are coached that you can't carry a punt into the end zone. And if you do, it's a touchback. Um, 
One other quick thing. Uh, this came from Pauly, but not our Pauly, I don't think. Not the 757 Pauly. Why didn't you hit Campbell with not running the football in the second half? Um, I didn't even consider that. Right before the show, I saw your tweet, Pauly, um, because they had run it so successfully in the first half. They had 148 yards rushing, seven yards a carry in the first half, and they ran it on their first drive of the second half as well. So I, I essentially looked this up. The bottom line is they did try to run the football in the second half. It's just that when they got down two scores – that last drive, which was 11 plays, were, with the exception of the third and goal run, they were all throws. You know, there there were 10 throws on that drive, which got the final numbers of 20 throws, seven runs out of whack. But they did try to run the football. They fumbled on one of the runs. They ran it successfully when they ran it. I, I don't think that they got away. I don't think Ben Johnson got away from the run in the second half. But when you got down two scores and there were three minutes left in the game, you're throwing the football exclusively. Everybody understands that, and that's what you know tilted the run-pass ratio um, towards pass-to-run in the second half of that game. Um, in thinking of that, though, and, and pushing forward uh, to the Super Bowl, I— Cooley was on my podcast with me yesterday. He was great. He watched both games, so he was really engaged in uh, the, the, both of the games and the Super Bowl matchup. And I, and I said to him, Denton, I said, wouldn't you be concerned if you were the 49ers defensively now? I mean, they were the number one rush defense in the NFL, um, but they have given up or top two or three rush defenses. Maybe it was the top rush defense in the NFL, actually. I'm getting confused between them and Baltimore. Um, but it was one or two in the NFL. But they've been run on in two straight games. And I said, wouldn't you be concerned with Pacheco just running it right down their throat? And he goes, no. Kansas City's not built the same way Green Bay and Detroit are up front offensive line-wise. He goes, I think you'll see the 49ers be much better against the run against Pacheco and the Chiefs, which I thought was interesting. I mean, Aaron Jones ran for, a, you know, a buck 08. Montgomery and Gibbs combined for 138 yards uh, rushing. You throw in the Jamison Williams touchdown on the reverse, and, you know, they, they averaged for the game 6.3 yards per carry. But he doesn't think that the Chiefs up front are built anywhere near the way the Lions are built, which is true. The Lions arguably have the best offensive line in the league. Um, and he said the Packers uh, run scheme, which is the Shanahan run scheme, is different than the way Andy Reid um, runs the football. Um, he, he thinks, by the way, his first blush on the Super Bowl was both defenses are going to be really hard to move the football against. Uh, which would lean towards an under. And he said, you know, I, I could see like 23 to 20 as a final score, something like that. He didn't, he didn't say 13 to 10. Um, all right, uh, quick, what do you got? All right, all right, all right. What do you got? Of course, he's made his defensive call. Let's see who'll win this battle of strategy. Riggins. He's going to go all the way. Unless Blackwood can catch him, and he can't. (laughs) 
How about that? 41 years ago. We made a much bigger deal about this uh, last year, the 40-year anniversary of the Super Bowl 17 win. Uh, but there it was, uh, Rigo's fourth and one, 43-yard touchdown run, uh, the most iconic play in franchise history. There's no close second. Um, I would say that Daryl Grant's, uh, Dexter Manley's tip of Gary Hogaboom's pass in the fourth quarter of the NFC Championship game a week before, picked off by Daryl Grant, run into the end zone, would be number two. And I think Daryl Green's punt return at Soldier Field um, in the second half of a playoff game against the Bears would probably be my top three. The top two are easy. Maybe some debate over the number three, although that's that's the one that comes to my mind. But Rigo at the time setting the Super Bowl record uh, with uh, 166 yards on 38 carries with the game winner. Um, it would be the next Super Bowl, uh, which would be the following year, uh, the Super Bowl Washington lost to the Raiders, Super Bowl 18, in which Marcus Allen uh, would break the Rigo record rushing for 191 yards against Washington in Super Bowl 18. But yeah, uh, 41 years ago today, January 30th, 1983, Washington's first Lombardi Trophy and Rigo uh, cemented into the history of this town as its most, I think, celebrated athlete. Uh, all right, uh, who had the worst playoff loss through the playoff round so far? We'll discuss that next. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980 and the Team980.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Uh, We're going to hold off on the playoff losses because I went too long in the open. Denton scolded me during the break. Um, Deservedly so. Uh, All right. Um, We're going to rank the three worst playoff losses so far because there have been some hideous losses, like hurtful to the franchise losses. We will do that a little bit next hour. Uh, Denton's news coming up here in about uh, 12 minutes. But right now, I want you to hear Ben Johnson. Okay, so there does seem to be more of more doubt perhaps injected into the conversation by Adam Schefter yesterday on the Pat McAfee show saying, you know, not a total guarantee at this point. Um, but 
Uh, let's just assume that Ben Johnson does get the job here. But even if he doesn't, you know what? If you're a Seattle fan, it'll be nice to hear Ben Johnson's voice. I went back last week and I pulled the press conference that is available for anybody to watch on the team's website. The Thursdays are always the coordinator day, the defensive coordinator and the offensive coordinator. And Ben Johnson, you know, took his turn at the podium on Thursday in preparation for the championship game on Sunday against the 49ers. Um, there were questions that really didn't have anything to do with the 49er game. And I wanted you to hear him. I wanted you to hear him formulate his thoughts. I want you to hear uh, his voice because this could be the next head coach within a couple of days here uh, in Washington. This was him answering a question in which he's gotten a lot of credit in Detroit for empowering Jared Goff specifically allowing Jared Goff to be part of the decision-making process on offensive design, on game plan, on play calling. He was asked about that, and here's what he said. I I think empowering anybody, doesn't matter really what position it is, um, makes them a better player overall because the ownership of of it, they tend to want to make that stuff work, either it's a technique or a a, a specific play. Um, That's been my experience, at least. I I do say... uh, the mistakes I've seen over the years when it comes to offensive football is I've seen guys come in and they plop down a playbook and try to change the quarterback. And there is a degree of growing the quarterback and challenging the quarterback, but I I think it still starts with what that quarterback does best. So that was always our starting point Um, a couple years ago with Jared. What does he do best? And then we've looked to, to grow and develop him from there. And so it's been very much a uh, hand-in-hand, step-in-step process and, and his ideas, as well as, shoot, David Blau had some good ones last night too, third down night, right? So all these guys, they, they throw their two cents in there, and, and we try to come up with a good product on, on game day. David Blau, a quarterback, I think who's on the practice squad, uh, actually. So there it was the voice of Ben Johnson, potentially Washington's next uh, head, co- head coach, for those of you that have never heard his voice. Um, I think, you know, the best coaches in the NFL, and offensive coaches in particular, the best ones have always adapted their scheme to the talent they have. Uh, Joe Gibbs reinvented himself multiple times as an offensive designer, as an offensive play caller, etc. Those that force system on players, they've had success. There are certainly systems, um, but you've got to be lockstep with your personnel people to make sure you're bringing in the right people that fit into that system. We've certainly seen that um, with some of the Shanahan uh, guys for sure. Uh, this was a question he was asked about being one of the uh, guys on Dan Campbell's staff who never played in the NFL, and apparently Campbell's staff has a lot of former NFL players on it. By the way, Mark Brunel's on that staff. Antoine Randall L. is on the Detroit Lions staff, if you didn't know that. Um, he was asked about the NFL experience and how important that is to an overall NFL coaching staff as it relates to getting along with the players? It's instant credibility with the, with the players. They might not know the coach very well, but the fact that he played at a high level in this league, I, I do think that speaks volumes for the respect factor early on. Um, I learned from a veteran coach when I was in Miami that you can't coach what you don't know. And so 
for guys like me and probably Coach Phipp, who didn't play in this league, it's it's been a race for growing that library, the volume, you know, what can we learn, what can we be experts on that we can share that knowledge and then our way of teaching that to the players is just, it looks different because you might have Coach Hyden or Antoine Randallel out there demonstrating exactly what they want. It's gonna look a little bit different with me trying to demonstrate those same techniques, okay? Um, but we just have to find a different way to get the same point across at the end of the day. And that's that's been the fun part about guys like me and Dave, I think that, uh, that there's still value, you know, there's a good mix. And, and Coach Campbell said this all along that having not the smartest guys or all former player, it's just the right mix of guys that we have on this staff and, and it's worked really well this year. Interesting answer from him. I don't know if it's so much uh, a look into the kind of of staff he's going to build here, but the staff that he's been a part of, you know, I mentioned Brunel and I mentioned um, uh, Antoine randall on the staff, but there are so many others. Hank Fraley, the guy that's been discussed as a, a guy that would potentially come here, uh, to be his offensive coordinator, obviously played in the NFL. Dre Bly, Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator. I didn't know this, Denton, until I looked this up. Did you know that John Fox, the former Panthers head coach, has been a senior defensive assistant in Detroit on that staff? I mean, we had talked, you know, about Ron Rivera. You know, would he take a lesser role? Many guys have taken lesser roles, and I pointed out a few guys, and you guys came back with a lot more. John Fox coached the Carolina Panthers to a Super Bowl. He's a defensive assistant on – now, it's a senior defensive assistant on the staff, but he's on the Detroit staff. By the way, remember Sean Dion Hamilton, who Washington drafted – I don't even know what year that was – um, he's on the Detroit staff. A lot of former Washington connections on the Detroit staff. Um, and then finally, I wanted to play this for you uh, from Ben uh, Ben Johnson. And again, this came from last week's offensive coordinator press conference leading into the NFC title game against San Francisco. Somebody um, asked him, and it was a long question, and I'm not going to play the question for you, but it was essentially, you've kind of made your name on an offense that's very innovative and very creative with a lot of plays and wrinkles in plays, et cetera, et cetera. How do you see your offense? What's the hallmark of your offense? Here's what he said. Shoot, I'd like to think that uh, it all it all starts with the fundamentals um, and technique, I'd say that's a huge part of it because it's what we've been preaching from the springtime through training camp and then even now during the season, the, all those little things. But when you turn on the tape, I would love to, to think that you see us playing with speed and attitude. Speed and attitude. We talk about that from day one, and hopefully when you turn it on, that's what's showing up each and every week. Ben Johnson, speed and attitude. I think we're going to hear, if there is an introductory press conference this week or early next week, I think we're going to hear speed and attitude mentioned, uh, along with fundamentals and technique. Um, I watched, it was like a 13 and a half minute press conference, and I watched the whole thing, and then I went back and watched the one from the week before leading into the Tampa game. He's impressive. He's a thoughtful guy. He's clearly bright. He's impressive. 
Um, and that's part of it, right? Uh, I don't know that we've had um, the most brilliant here over the last few years uh, in the staff that just left town. By the way, he had mentioned about the NFL staff and being around certain guys. And I went back to look and sort of put together the timeline of all of the guys that he was around. When he was in Miami specifically, he coached under Mike Sherman, who was there, Joe Philbin, who was there, Adam Gase, who was there. Um, And by the way, Dan Campbell was in Miami with him. He also was with Zach Taylor now at a much lower level in Miami. Um, He's been around a lot of QB guys in particular. Um, You know, no matter what you think about Gase, Peyton Manning loves Gase, right? No matter what you think of Joe Philbin, Aaron Rodgers likes Joe Philbin. Um, uh, Mike Sherman was that kind of a guy, too, with offensive players. So this is these are kind of the people that he's been around, the mentors during his career. This is not a Shanahan tree guy. Um, But, man, he looks and sounds like a Shanahan tree guy. And the offense is very, in many ways, very similar um, to what they do. Not identical, but similar. You know, the thing that I tweeted out during the game about the elite talent that Detroit has was not, you know, meant to be what many of you thought it was. I I can't believe how sensitive some of you are. Meant to be a knock against Ben Johnson at all. Um, It's just that do recognize that Detroit's loaded on offense. Loaded. Um, They have a top three offensive line. They have a top six, seven wide receiver in the game. They may have right now a top five back in Gibbs in the game, the combination of Gibbs and Montgomery. Um, They've got maybe now a top five pass-catching tight end in the game. They have a a speed burner in Jamison Williams. There's just a lot of playmaking talent sitting behind an outstanding offensive line. Uh, but you know, he made it work last year. They were good offensively. Um, and they didn't have two of the rookies that were significant contributors. Um, all right. Wanted you to hear some Ben Johnson, uh, just so you get familiar with him. When we come back, Denton's got some news and then, then at 11 AM, we'll go out to Seattle to hear who the Seattle people think they're going to get for their open head coach availability. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980, the Team980.com. We are free and live on the Odyssey app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Hitting the news you might have missed. It's Denton's Daily News. All right, Denton, what do we got? All right, we timed this up pretty good. We just got the numbers for this past weekend's games television-wise. The Chiefs-Ravens did 55.5 million viewers. All right, I haven't seen the nightcap. I was curious. I'm going to guess before I – because I don't know what it was. I'm going to guess because it was in prime time – because it was a game that got close. Everybody, I think, assumed that the Chiefs-Ravens game was going to do better. I'm going to say the 49ers-Lions game did better. It did do better, but by how many millions of viewers did it do better? What did you say? God, you said 55 million? Yeah, 55.5. Remember, we were losing our minds last week about Buffalo and Kansas City doing 50 million. NFL. Um, I'll say 60 million. Close, but no cigar. 56.9 million. So just like literally a million and a half more than Chiefs Ravens. My guess is if those two games were switched and it was Mahomes and Lamar in prime time, they probably would have gotten to 60 million. So are those the most watched championship games in history? No, the uh, Liners Niner, Lions Niners is the f- most watched since 2012. Um, I didn't get any sort of information as to whether the AFC championship. My guess is that at least uh, Chiefs-Patriots from a couple years ago and maybe Chiefs-Bengals from a couple years ago probably had more viewers than this one did. Insane number of people watched the NFL. It's just, it's the gift that keeps on giving and it just doesn't seem like anything can ever ruin it. And all of the, you know, it's like whether it was the Saints Rams game with the, the the missed you know PI at the end you know terrible controversy fan outrage over things it just enhances it all you know the questions coming out of the San Francisco Detroit game about Dan Campbell the Lamar Jackson storyline the Patrick Mahomes storyline by the way I saw this because um, we were talking about yesterday how, What's just amazing about Mahomes in these big games is that he just doesn't make mistakes. So I saw this. I think it was from PFF. In the two playoff games, last two play, no, this postseason overall, now three uh, playoff games, excuse me, because they had the Miami game. Zero turnover-worthy plays and only two sacks. Zero turnovers, zero turnover-worthy plays, and two sacks in three playoff games. Patrick Mahomes. Um, I mean, he just knows what it takes. Like, he knows when to dial it back to win, and he knows when he's got to go full-on Mahomes to win. And in this, in the matchup against the beat-up Dolphins in frigid weather, against the beat-up Bills... Uh, in very cold weather, and against the Ravens, who clearly were struggling offensively against the defense, he knew exactly what not to do, which is can't make any 
mistakes. And certainly I'm not suggesting that he didn't make a lot of plays. He made an S-load of plays in all of these games, including on the first two drives. The Baltimore defense, though, after the first two drives, were light. it was lights out. I mean, they did nothing. They scored no points and didn't even sniff points in the second half. I don't think Kansas City's punter has had that much of a workout in one half in a long time. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, this Super Bowl matchup, it's going to kill it. I mean, Mahomes, 49ers, it's going to be big. All right, what else you got? All right, real quickly here, the Nats unveiled new uniforms over the weekend. We couldn't discuss this yesterday because we were talking football. They got uh, gray uniforms. They got like a white pullover alt uniform going on here. I think they look pretty decent, Kevin, but I am a little upset and worried. It looks like they're phasing the curly W out of the uh, the the uniforms. And I what do you mean? I've loved the curly W. The curly W isn't the logo. I mean, that's that's the logo. It's still the lo- but in some of these new uniforms, it's the it's the W on the on the capital with the two which is is a, it's a clean look, but it looks like they're slowly starting to almost. Is phase that what's going to be on their actual caps? Um, I haven't seen. I anybody. care about what's on the cap. Yeah, no, it looks like some of their caps. Like if you look at the Joey Gallo um, announcement, they put a graphic of Joe, Joey Gallo signing with the team. It is not the curly W on the ta- on the cap. It's the W with. So the these capital. aren't. The, you're not talking about like alt uniforms or a new alt uniform. You're talking about a total change in their jerseys. Uh, it, it seems like it. Um, I mean, I think they'll still keep the curly W for a little bit, but it looks like they're phasing more in this direction. Like the gray uniform has the curly W on the sleeve. Um, so we got that, but it looks like they, I mean, they really like the W in front of the Capitol logo, it seems. Mm-hmm. Which, in fairness, is a nice logo, but, I mean, this team's been back here for, what, like 20 years, and now this is their third set of new it's logos? It's not 20 years. It's not quite 20. It's Well, I guess no, it's 2005. To, it's coming up on yeah, 20. Yeah, it's close to 20, and they've it's had three yet. logos. Is this going to be their 19th season or 18th season here? I guess uh, they probably came back in 0506, so this would probably be yeah. 18. Um, okay. I mean, look, for for me, when they came back and they had the uniforms that basically um, brought you back to the Senators, which I barely am old enough to remember, um, but uh, that was, you know, it was that D.C. look in the Curly W. That's kind of what they had with the Senators and probably – I don't know what the the original Natch uniforms were, the Senators uniforms were, but all right, what else? Anything else? Uh, that's all we got for now. All right, up next, uh, we are going to go out to the Pacific Northwest to talk to Greg Bell from the Tacoma News Tribune. We'll find out what they think, uh, who they think their next ho- head coach will be in Seattle. It's the Kevin Sheehan Show on the Team 980. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t 